This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Hello, America, and welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck Program. It's going to be another controversial show. Let's get started right now. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. Because we have won. I will beat my drum. I have made my choice. We will overcome. Because we are The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Hello, America. I want to uh, I want to start with the most effective speech, the most effective political speech I have heard since Ronald Reagan. Um, it kills me to say that. I don't. Uh, I don't think this is necessarily genuine. I think she does believe these things. But it was very well done, very well rehearsed. And in the video that I saw, now, if this was a regular campaign speech, you would not see several angles. You'd see one. They come, they put a camera down in the back. They, it's called lock it down. They lock it down on the podium, and that's it. If you watch the speech that Michelle Obama gave yesterday, they knew. There were four different camera angles on this. They knew exactly, the press knew what was coming. This was an important speech. <clears throat> Normally, if you give this speech, any campaign speech, you hear, I'm going to say something about the bad guy. And what does everybody do? Ooh. Okay. I'm going to say something about us. Yay! And that's a campaign speech. I will tell you, if you want to look at what the conservatives have lost in this campaign, we have lost the argument on economics. Can anybody remember what the number $787 billion is about? You remember what it is? Anybody? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, yeah, for, for sure. The, yeah, stimulus, it, the stimulus package, yeah. right? Why do you remember that number, Stu? Because we said it nine million times. Why did we say it nine million times? To criticize Barack Obama and his huge spending efforts. so big. Right. Uh, and our change from, uh, uh, you, know, to, for, uh, you know, violating the free market system to save it, that extending into Obama's presidency where we were just throwing money at this problem. How much is... Um, how much is Donald Trump's child care uh, bill? How much is that? Um, up to $680 billion. So $100 billion <laughs> short of the biggest number any of us had ever heard the government spend. Of course, that doesn't include his 
$550 billion plus stimulus, stimulus plan, package. Yeah. which is on, an, on top okay, of the so $680 billion for the child care. So we are we're over $1 trillion for just two things, a stimulus and one child care package. So we've lost the economic high ground. We, we, are, we have proven ourselves to be what? Liars? We don't care if it's our side. We don't care what anybody does as long as they don't do it economically. Small government. Single-payer health care system. He has said it over and over and over again. He will, do a, he will repeal and replace with a single-payer health care system. Universal health care. We've lost that argument. Compassion. You know what? Maybe we ought to, get to go over there and kill the families. Kill the families of the terrorists or even the deportation force. Instead of saying we have ICE, we have to empower ICE to do their job. He says we have a deportation force. Compassionate conservatism, conservatism, if it even existed, gone. Um, Corruption on business. We We say we don't like corruption in business. Listen to the words of, what, I use the laws? I, of course I use bankruptcy because I use the laws that benefit me. You don't like the laws? Change them. Now, while that is true, how do you defend that? It's called business. That's well, right. That's how you defend it. It is cold-hearted Mr. Potter versus the Bailey, Bailey building and loan kind of business. Heartless I use what I can. Cronyism. Yeah, you're damn right I give to all of the guys because they'll answer my calls and I get what I need. What else have we lost? Uh, how about the moral high ground? Anger, vengeance, vulgarity. I mean, we could spend days on that one. We've lost Hispanics. They're not coming back. They're not coming back because our Cheering crowds. They're not coming back. We're now losing women. Women are dropping like flies. Why? Why? Because the people who know how to deliver speeches, who have control of the media, who who have defended Bill Clinton... For 25 years, who dragged all of the arguments that Donald Trump is making out in front of of people right now, the ones that we are using, they're only being, we didn't develop those arguments. They did. They fought against them and said, oh, that's crazy. Now, they're the ones saying that this is a moral outrage. Right. We've switched places. But what you don't understand is we don't control the media. We don't control the narrative. And we don't control the culture. They do. They control the language. You cannot fight them on things like this. They win. Especially when you have a guy who has shown that he's into cronyism, corruption, Compassion is gone, small government, economics. He, we have become them. And now 
they've decided that this is all wrong. Who do you think is going to win? Women are going to leave us in droves because they will be effective where we are not. And in the meantime, we've lost our religious institutions because our religious institutions don't stand for principles or morals anymore. We are losing ourselves. When you've highlighted some inconsistencies. Yes, and who didn't see this coming? We were so wrapped up into winning. We said last year, millions of Americans said last year, you can't do this. When the media gets a hold of this guy, they're going to kill him. They're going to cream him. No, he's got control of the media. No, he does now because they want him to win. As WikiLeaks has now shown us, that was exactly their plan. They wanted him to get the nomination because they knew she was so weak and he could be destroyed. They talked privately about how it was basically her only path to the presidency. Yes. Her only path to the presidency was Thank you, Russia. Thank you, Russia, for verifying what we said during the primary. Probably stopped trying to interfere in our elections to do so, but yes. Yes. And we do have that Okay, so we know that's all true now. And we now also know that Donald Trump was so reckless with our nation that he refused to have anyone do opposition research on him. That is basic. That's the first thing you do when you want to run. You say, I need some opposition research. Show me the worst that they might be able to find. And you do research so you overturn every stone so no one surprises you. We found out in the three administrations that have been running the Trump campaign, all three of them have said, we... We need to do opposition research. And he has said no. So now the the campaign has no idea what's coming next. And if you don't think that that was a setup, uh, Ben Shapiro hit it right, the nail right on the head. During the debate, so have you ever said, have you ever done any of these things that are on this tape in the bus? Look, nobody respects women. No, that's not the question. Have you ever done any of those things? No one respects women more than I do. Again, sir, have you done any of those things? He was trapped. He had to say yes or no. He chose no setup. That's uh, not Gary Hart. Uh, it's who's the guy who said, follow me. That was Gary. Yeah, that was, was Gary, Gary Hart. Hart? Yeah, 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 follow me. Okay. Everybody's saying that I've had affairs. Follow me. That's what he did. He said, no. People say, well, you can't trust these women. Oh, so now we don't believe the women. Now we take a, a very vulgar man with lots of power, celebrity, who we know lives this kind of lifestyle anyway, has bragged about it for 30 years. We have footage of things like this. And now we're taking the position of not believing the women. Why did the women finally come up? Well, I would imagine if that had happened to you, you're not going to say anything. For all kinds of reasons, you don't say anything. Bill Cosby comes to mind. 
But there comes a point, and this was the point, that you're sitting at home and you're watching that and you snap and say, that son of a bitch, he did it to me. And there very easily could be a mixture of people actually doing that and, and realizing, completely false. Hey, here's a presidency that I can take. Yep. I mean, it's not to say that these not to say are that all going to turn out to be true. It's you all have alleged. no idea. They all say they're, you know, Trump says he's going to come out with evidence that's going to pr- disprove all of them today. But you Let's don't see. have the moral high ground because you've already seeded it. You don't have the moral high ground. You don't have a guy who say, this is out of character. When Donald Trump said, Ted Cruz has, you know, 12 mistresses. It was pretty easy to question Ted and say, Ted, did that happen? Please, Glenn. There's nothing in his character that shows that. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. But there's nothing in his character again, that hints at that. Think about this again. Here, here's a guy who's dealing with this now and having to fight off all of these allegations. You know, here's a guy who tried to ruin Ted Cruz's run by getting yes. a fake cheating scandal on him. Correct. Um, and I mean, beyond this, Stu, beyond this, here's a man, here's a man who is still trying to make the issue about Bill Clinton and what Bill Clinton did and the women think of this. What did he do on Sunday? He put people who accused Bill Clinton of doing something 30 years ago in the audience when his defense of himself is. That's old news. That's 10 years old. It's the dumbest (laughs) strategy I've ever seen. I'm going to take a break, and I I don't know if I'm going to have time or the patience to play um, the Michelle Obama speech, but you need to hear it because the audience is pin drop quiet. It connected Whether you like to believe it or not, whether I want to believe it or not, it connected. And it was powerful. You don't have to believe it to see its devastating effects. And I don't even mean on Donald Trump. I mean on the conservative movement. A devastating attack. We have been talking about there is no war on women. You just have handed them a war on women and they took it and if you listen to her words carefully oh my gosh oh my gosh they are co-opting women and it will work they are they are talking about how crippled women are and it's time you have a protector oh my gosh the conservatives, it's probably too late. It's probably too late for you to regain credibility because these crowds are still 15,000 strong. There is a big part of the conservative movement that just doesn't care. And it's going to destroy it. I think it already has. National Geographic Channel is doing Killing Reagan. Is that this? Yeah, it's this Sunday. Premieres this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on the National Geographic uh, Channel. Tim Matheson and Cynthia Nixon are Ron and Nancy Reagan. 
and it is the fourth movie in the Killing franchise from uh, Bill O'Reilly. It begins in the 1980 presidential election between Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter and shows the path that John Hinckley Jr. was following at the same time. Uh, 89 days into the administration, I remember the day it happened. Do you remember that, Stu? Because you were pretty young. No. You don't remember it? Jeffy, do you remember? No, where I don't, Glenn. Oh, I was... come on. Do you remember where you were? <laughs> remember uh, you your golden pocket watch at work, weren't you? No, <laughs> yes, where were I you? Was. That was my first retirement. <laughs> really? <from the> railroad. <laughs> where? From the railroad, yeah. yeah. Where were you? Do you remember? Uh, in Michigan, yeah. I mean, I was you in... Don't remember in... Speci- I remember specifically, I was in the cafeteria of my high school when I heard that Ronald Reagan was shot. And we didn't have, I, I don't even know how anybody found out because, you know, there weren't TVs hanging in every room. Nobody had cell phones. And nobody had cell phones. Um, but I remember at lunchtime, we heard, and I, I went home and I started watching it on TV. And remember, they only had the film, you know, it was probably film at the time. And uh, they kept playing it over and over for days and days and days, over and over and over again. Um, and I think that was the first time we had ever seen on live TV the actual assassination attempt of any president. Anyway, um, this is happening this weekend. It's a great movie. It is on the National Geographic Channel. Premieres this Sunday, 8 p.m., 7 Central, Killing Reagan. National Geographic Channel, only there, Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. Gotta be <laughs> That's my favorite. You keep you, you know that your problem is. Let me, let me explain to you what your problem is here, because yeah. this is your problem. Yeah, you own this. The issue here <laughs> is that you are holding on to hope for the future of the country. You let that go. All of this feels great. It's easy. Right. It's funny. You laugh at it. It's not a big deal. You keep weirdly holding on to this idea. That there's some future for, and here's and here's why. I know you're, I know you're, either strangely telling the truth, and it's, it is your way to happiness, or you're <laughs> mocking this point. Um, but let me show you where the hope comes from. Okay, the millennials, 
No, great. No, no, no. Listen to me. Oh, Listen yeah. to me. <laughs> Why is Bernie Sanders popular? Uh, he's hot. Yeah, he's authentic. Oh. Now everybody says. Everybody says it's authenticity. We now know the secret recipe. It is not authenticity because Donald Trump is authentic. Yeah. He's authentic. That was what drew what drew people right. Crowds, right? That's what people we think. should have been yeah. we should have known better. We should have known better. The uh, authenticity is the same reason Bernie Sanders. He's authentic. That's who he is. Okay? And we're saying that's what people want. They want somebody who just lets it all out. Well, yes, that's part of it. That's part of it. But character is more important. Authenticity will get you a spike. It'll draw a crowd. You can't believe this guy. You don't even know what he's going to say. It'll draw that crowd. But it will not keep the crowd. Authenticity with an ethical backbone where the guy is saying, I don't care what you do to me, Bernie Sanders, up until the very end. Yeah, I'm a socialist. He was the only one brave enough to say it. I'm a socialist. That's what the millennials like. They have, they learned most likely from watching television, whether their parents taught it or not. They learned in the 90s, Character matters. They were on our side at the time. Character matters. And there is such a lack of character now. They know that's all that matters. They don't see that in Donald Trump. They don't see that in Hillary Clinton. They don't see that in the RNC. They don't see that in the DNC. They now don't see that in many of our churches either. You have to be the beacon of character. That's the hope. The next generation already is there and they get it. The Glenn Beck Program. I watched that speech from Michelle Obama, and uh, I have to tell you, it is so frustrating because that speech should have been given by us. That should have been given by conservatives, not by somebody who has excused Bill Clinton their entire life. I don't know how you can give that speech as effectively as she did and still say, on the platform where the name Clinton is behind you. Does no one see the irony there? But it was the most effective. I think that's a game-changing speech. And I say that not because of what she, how she delivered, which I think she delivered, it was very well-crafted. 
Well, she's been practicing. Oh, she's been practicing. Yes, there is. That's a that was a well crafted speech. But I say it made an impact because of the silence of the crowd for the first five minutes. It was not a campaign speech. Five minutes into it, it changes. But uh, that first five minutes, it does not. It's not a campaign speech. Everybody is pin drop quiet. It hit people in the chest. And it should have been given by us because it's the moral argument on why character matters. I can't believe we've, we're losing this one. John Ziegler is uh, with us. Hello, John. How are you? Doing well. Always good to talk to you, Glenn. John Ziegler from uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, um, uh, I've, I've, seen your, I've seen what you're about to lay out. And I will tell you that I'm going to have to take issue with you on it. Uh, but I want to hear, hear your case. Go ahead. Well, I wrote a column at Mediate, where I write several times a week, uh, about what world conservatives should want to live in on November 9th uh, going forward. And the premise behind this is, well, there's really two. One is I'm no longer certain, Glenn, that even in the short run, if Donald Trump were to somehow win over Hillary Clinton, that it would be somehow better for the country or conservatism, even understanding the catastrophic damage that, for instance, losing Antonin Scalia's Supreme Court seat would do to conservatism. Uh, I, I am no longer certain that's the case. But more importantly, I no longer believe there's any realistic chance, barring an act of God, and it's clear God's not paying any attention to this campaign. Uh, <laughs> He's that, turning that, his face in shame. Trump is that Donald Trump is going to win. So I, I'm, a, I'm a very practical person, Glenn, and I'm trying to figure out, is there a way to save conservatism in the long run here? And I would like conservatives, sane conservatives, not those that have been brainwashed by the conservative media industrial complex that has completely lost their freaking minds during this entire situation, selling out to a liberal con man who I believe Donald Trump to be. But I'm talking about sane conservatives who are looking at this and going, what the heck is going on? And is there a way through this wilderness? And to me, when you look at the possible scenarios, the more likely scenarios, the ones that include uh, Hillary Clinton winning by either a small margin or a large margin, which is the scenario where conservatism actually still has a chance moving forward. And what I mean by long term, I'm talking in the next four to eight years. And I make the argument that, that I think it is incredibly obvious that conservatism is in far better shape four to eight years from now if Donald Trump gets crushed and he is no longer a viable political player moving forward than if somehow this remains competitive till the end and Hillary Clinton wins a small victory, which I think would be not only bad for conservatism, because Trump remains a cancer forever, or as long as he's living, but also, frankly, with all this talk of, of rigged elections and the, and the clamor that Trump is, has conned his, his uh, mindless supporters into creating, I think we could have a, a major, major societal problem in following an election that the millions of people are not accepting as legitimate. Mm -hmm. So I, I make the argument in the Mediate column that strategically sane conservatives should consider doing what you got unfairly destroyed by, even considering the notion of voting for Hillary Clinton. 
because if if Hillary Clinton does not win a substantial victory here, this problem of Trumpism is not going away. And and we will have effectively, Glenn. See, here's here's why I look at this. We as conservatives or Republicans, we sold our souls here for a couple of magic beans. And we now know, if you're rational, that the magic beans are not going to work. Trump is not going to win. So now that we realize the magic beans do not work, let's toss them away and let's try to figure out the best way to survive this going forward. And I think the only way conservatism has a chance to survive is if Trump is crushed in an electoral college defeat that makes well, it I, very clear that he was rejected. John, I will tell you, I don't think you need to have people cross the aisle to do that. Um, in Texas uh, today, the uh, alert came out that Hillary is now within the margin of error in Texas. Right. He may that. lose Texas. You lose Texas. He's lost Texas. He's, he might lose Utah. He's losing the reddest of red states. I don't think he's going to lose Texas. Uh, I think he could lose Utah. Uh, and, and look, I mean, I, I've been saying it for over a year. There's no way that Donald Trump beats Hillary Clinton. And I was right, one of those right. warning about this at the very, very beginning of this. I know. But the polls are, the polls are, are remarkably uh, still somewhat competitive despite the yes. news the last week. And frankly, Glenn, I think the news media is overplaying their hand, as they always do, uh, on these uh, sex abuse allegations. Not that I don't believe them. Uh, I do believe this is who Donald Trump is. But I think that they are in some ways playing right into Donald Trump's hands with his narrative, he's now being able to create this us-against-them narrative. Yes. And by the way, as an aside, Glenn, I, I hope it doesn't get lost that Trump's allegation yesterday that he is the victim, that, uh, that, that somehow these abuse allegations are coming forward because of a massive, sinister conspiracy between the news media and the big banks is the most absurd thing I have ever heard in my life. The news minute, so, media uh, created Donald Trump. Hang the on just a second. Are... saved Donald Trump. This is effectively <laughs> like O.J. Simpson blaming being charged for a double murder on, the, on a conspiracy between the NFL and the major knife manufacturers. I mean, it's completely <laughs> ridiculous. So wait a minute. You're saying that his excuse was that there's some vast left-wing conspiracy oh, no, that's no, no, trying no, to no, destroy no, him? Not only even that, forget about left-wing. Media and and bank conspiracy. This was a major part of his speech yesterday, that this is all a Clinton-provoked bank and media conspiracy to take him down with these sex abuse allegations. And again, for pe people need to understand his history. Not only did the media give him $2 billion in free advertising in the primaries, they obviously made him a celebrity to begin with. The, the Celebrity Apprentice increased that celebrity. And the banks in the early 1990s, and, and my father was a small but significant part of this, saved his ass. They gave him $450,000 a month as an allowance so he could continue the appearance that he was super rich while they decided that he was worth more alive than dead so they might be able to get some of their money back that he wasn't going to pay them that they had loaned him to create this smoke and mirrors business empire. I mean, it's, it is preposterous. We're living in a post-fact 
post-logic, post-truth world with this moron. And, uh, and it's a, <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, John. Tell me how you re- I mean, get it out. I mean, don't hold it in. Um, just, you know, I read something. Are, are you familiar with Zero Hedge? Yes. Okay, so I, I read Zero Hedge, and, and Zero Hedge has been leaning Donald Trump, and, uh, you know, and they, they're a little conspiratorial at times. I read the most shocking article uh, there today that said uh, the best thing that could happen is uh, because of this scenario, we know that the markets are going to collapse. And if Donald Trump wins, it's going to be blamed. The last one was blamed on George Bush. This one's going to be blamed immediately, not on Barack Obama, uh, but immediately on Donald Trump. If Hillary Clinton gets into office, there is going to be a major disturbance. Now, I think it's going to happen either way. This is their conspiratorial leaning. Um, But there'll be a major disturbance like in uh, Aleppo, and we're going to be going to war with Russia. And so if Clinton gets in, the economy, which will tube, will uh, be blamed on Russia, and it was the Russians that did it. So win or lose, we lose. Well, let me, uh, I, 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 and and hang on just a second. So what they said, so what they said was, we all know that these, both these guys are bogus and corrupt, and they're, they're, they're the system. Wouldn't it be amazing if both sides just went, you know, and voted for um, uh, the independents, whoever those independents are, and the voter turnout for Clinton and Trump were ex- was extremely low to send a message, we're done with both of you guys. Well, that would be a nice idea, but I don't, I don't see that any evidence of that happening. But to the larger point of what the future is going to hold here, and this is a large part of my argument that we should be rooting and, and, and strategically facilitating a Trump uh, massive defeat, what's the scenario where either wow. one of these is a successful president? And so and there's none. I mean, Donald Trump right. would not be a successful president, and Hillary Clinton is not going to be a successful president. And by the way, the economy is going to be at best, at best, stagnant for the next four years. Why, do, why are conservatives not salivating over the idea of regrouping, finding a legitimate Republican adult candidate in 2020, and taking on a very old, failed, unpopular Hillary Clinton, who's trying to, to win a fourth consecutive presidential term during an era of economic stagnation? Why, why is that a bad scenario for our side? If we, if we had a clue, we would crush her in 2020, and the, and the electoral map looks fantastic in 2018, especially if Hillary Clinton is president for Republican candidates. I just don't see the panic. We blew it this time, guys. Let's deal with that, move forward, and try to salvage the best we can from this. I tell you, I, st- I, I personally, I have a problem with this because I, um, I, don't, I don't want to strategize my vote. I want to try to vote for the person that I believe in, and I don't believe in either of them. I see the logic in it. Um, and I happened to, I mean, I told uh, Marco Rubio and I told Ted Cruz, you know, I hate to say this because I think she's such a disaster, but we know what's coming in the next four years because of the economy, and we know she can't fix it, and it'll only get worse. Let them take the blame for everything that they've actually done Thank so you. we don't receive it. And you're, I you. think you're right on that. And not, only, that, right on not that. only let them take the blame, let's salvage some dignity from this. So that we don't but have, have, you, have you noticed hanging around our necks for the rest of our lives. Have you noticed? That's too. I think that horse is already out of the barn. They were. They. I saw two articles today uh, that that were out that said too late for you conservatives that are jumping ship now. 
Well, too late. I, I, I mean, they're going to they're going to hold us to this forever. Uh, they'll try, Glenn. But if it's an electoral landslide, okay, if it's if, if he is crushed, uh, I don't know that that holds water for a generation. It holds water for a while, and the media will always say, "Hey, you nominated Donald Trump." But at least, see, he, if he's not president, the damage there, there's, it's kind of like almost no harm, no foul. What's the long term damage, right? I mean, so it's not going to be nearly as bad as, hey, they gave us Hillary Clinton and look what happened. Uh, and she becomes, you know, the next generation's Jimmy Carter. So I, I, I get that that's what they'll try to do. And I get this is there is no good scenario here, Glenn. I mean, I, I am fully aware there is no good scenario. We blew it. We blew it during the primaries. And we blew it, I believe, because uh, a large part of our base has been brainwashed by this conservative media industrial complex I referred to, the Matt Drudges, the Breitbarts, the Sean Hannity's, even Rush getting involved with this, which is just insane to me. Help uh, me they- make some more friends. <laughs> Seriously, help me make some more friends. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, okay. that's, not, that's my, not my style, Glenn. Is I, <laughs> I know, I know. One. John, it's, it's good to have you uh, on the air because you do speak your mind, and I appreciate that. John Ziegler, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Thanks so much. He writes Thank for Media as well. Um, now this, smart onla- online entrepreneurs are disruptive industries. That's what, that's what makes it, disrupting the old system. But to disrupt the old system, you can't just be a disruptor. You can't just say, I want to burn it down. You have to have a better product. You have to have better technology. You have to have better prices. Simply Safe is a great example. They sell, they'll sell directly to you, and that disrupts the system of, uh, you know, about 40 people in between the people who make the product and you. So you get the best product, saves you a ton of money. It's easy to use. It's completely wireless, better technology. And monthly monitoring is $14.99 a month. Better prices. No long-term contract. You're in control of your own life. Protect your home the smart way. Visit simplysafebeck.com. Go there now. You'll also get free shipping on your order, free keychain remote worth 25 bucks. Simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Program. Can I ask you a question? Because I didn't, I thought this, and I didn't want to say it because I thought, oh, this is where my mind always goes. The conspiracy that he was talking about that Donald Trump was using yesterday. Can anybody tell me? Did, did anybody think of anything about those? Uh, yeah, uh, he was oh, yeah. an international conspiracy between global bankers and media. Okay. I mean, it's uh, okay. What, what does that mean? Written you? about in in many books. What do you think that means? I just want to make sure I'm not the only one thinking it. It was a very with the with the addition of well, Hillary Clinton in the middle of it, a very standard anti-Semitic conspiracy okay. theory. You know who runs those businesses, Glenn? Yeah, right. no, I'm not. Well, I know, okay. I know. And by the way, anybody who works with anybody who's Jewish, they cannot run anything. They have too many holidays. Let me turn around. They're not <laughs> every time around. There's there's no way anyone could rule the world with this many days off. It couldn't happen. Thank you. But anyway, uh, that's and that is playing into the alt right, which 
When you have this is not going campaign, a guy, you know, yeah. people, the renegade Jew yeah. and all the stuff they've been writing. I mean, it's very standard fare for Bannon yeah. and their type. And this is this is not going away because Trump will do with Bannon and Breitbart television and it will go right to the alt-right. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Just working on the electoral map for later in the show. Uh, it's not it's not ideal, I would say, is the way it looks. Uh, that. As of right now, we'll get to that in a minute. But, I mean, when you have stuff like this going on and there's no real good outcomes from this election, what do you do? You need somebody fighting for you uh, behind the scenes. You need someone who's putting pressure on politicians to make sure they stand up for their principles. You're making sure that people are watching the other hand when regulations are passing and you're focused on whatever's in the news today. You need somebody looking out for your country. And that's what FreedomWorks does. FreedomWorksForMe.com is the website. Go there and, and pledge your help, your support for uh, their efforts in stopping the Obama and everybody else, uh, everyone else's regulatory state. It's serious. It costs you more than it does than taxes do. Think about that. Go to FreedomWorksForMe.com right now. Pledge help to fight the federal regulatory state today. Do it right now. FreedomWorksForMe.com. FreedomWorksForMe.com. Hello, America. This election, you need to... Vote based on your conscience, not strategy. And there are more than two options in this election cycle. But can you find somebody that you can actually back? Um, Yesterday, we had a presidential candidate, Evan McMullen. No one has won an electoral vote, not one, since 1968. And that was, uh, what's his name? George George Wallace. Wallace. There's one other weird circumstance where one was awarded, but it wasn't because they won it. This looks like... This looks like Evan may be a history maker, uh, at least in the Mountain West. We had him on um, yesterday, and, you know, he gave me his resume, and I said, okay, so if I'm a guy who says, well, a lot of these things are the problem, how do you solve that for me? How do you, how do you separate yourself and tell me, can you, can you tell me the things that we've been doing wrong that this experience actually helps and doesn't further the problem for instance he was in the cia well aren't a lot of the guys in the cia pushing for the uh violation of of wiretapping and everything else like the nsa aren't isn't that lead you to more foreign entanglements worked at goldman sachs well that's kind of ground zero. How do you feel about the bank bailouts and crony capitalism? And then he was the guy who helped set the uh, House Republican agenda. Well, gee, I, I don't know if I was for the House Republican agenda. Um, how does that give you a spine? He agreed to come back and explain those questions and his answers to those questions. And we begin there right now. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. Cause we have won. I will be 
entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Evan McMullen, welcome to the program from EvanMcMullen.com. Great to be with you, Glenn. So, Evan, tell me, oh, geez, why do we have this uh, echo? Um, Evan, help me out on, um, uh, let's start with the, the resume, and let's start at the beginning with the CIA. Tell me uh, how you differ from the policies that I think have caused the world that we're living in, all of these foreign entanglements and getting involved with everybody's business. Yeah, well, well let me first of, first of all say, Glenn, that uh, happy to be back with you. I, I do want to just to point out just one thing, that, look, I served in the agency for 11 years, and I served with some of the most patriotic, courageous people in this uh, in this country and on the face of the earth. These are people who serve uh, courageously, who take on enormous risks, uh, even though they don't do it for fame or fortune, though most of them will never be known to the world. Um, but I learned how special in part this country was by serving with them. So I, ju- I just want to make that clear and make sure that as we have this conversation, we, we pay due respect. I, 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 yeah, or, I, or, look, I... I know people, I mean, I've hired one. Buck Sexton is an honorable, great, honorable yeah. man. Yeah. But I, I, I want to separate the people from the policies. Right. And so, so what I'm worried about is the policies. What are the policies that you have that separate yourself from, you know, a big global, we're going to rule the world and spy on everybody kind of guy? Okay, well, let me address that. So first of all, look, we tend to swing back and forth between two extremes in this country when it comes to foreign policy. Either we go too far, and as we did, I believe, in Iraq. I served in Iraq. I'm proud of my service there, and many others did, and I'm proud of their service too. But I think it was a mistake, a leadership mistake, to invade and occupy Iraq. Now, that's one extreme. The other extreme is what President Obama does, which is to totally withdraw U.S. leadership from the world. And what I say is that both costs a lot of blood and or treasure for us in the end. So what I'm advocating for is a, what I think is a middle ground, which is I do believe the United States needs to lead in the world, but we must do it in a smarter way that doesn't cost so much blood and treasure. And let me tell you what I mean by that. In August of 2013, the Iraqis came to us and said, hey, you guys pulled out, now we got ISIS camped in the desert near Syria, lots of them, lots of equipment, lots of personnel, weapons, all of that, they're camped out there. Will you help us destroy them right now before they launch an attack on our country and create havoc in the Middle East? The Obama administration took a pass, and as a result of that, we now have the largest terrorist army in the world now threatening the world and the largest humanitarian disaster since World War II that's now costing us billions and billions of dollars. We could have struck those camps, destroyed most of them with minimal, if any, civilian casualties, and we didn't do it because we didn't have a president who was willing to lead. So I I agree with that, Evan. Help me out on... uh, My problem is, is we believe that we can go in and um, uh, regime change. We can, we believe we can go in and plant democracy that doesn't work in some countries. And it's arrogant of us to think that, you know, my, my feeling is after September 11th, we should have gone in, got the bad guys, decimated the people who touched us and say, don't do that again. And then gone home, not try to bring our values because they don't necessarily want them or understand them. And it's like a missionary coming to your door and saying, you're going to have a better life and and we're going to force you to do it. No, 
when I'm ready and I discover them, that's when you call the missionary and say, hey, come on over. I need to talk to you. Well, I largely agree with that, Glenn. I mean, look, I think we do need to stand for liberty, and, and that includes democracy in this world. Um, but it's not the sort of thing, as you point out, that we can force upon people. I think all people deserve liberty and freedom, um, but they have, to, they have to find it and want it themselves. So my view is that we need to be a, a, a strong a, a place where liberty thrives here in America, and we need to always make it clear where we stand around the world uh, by simply saying what we stand for uh, and then doing things, too. But, but we can't, you're right, we can't force it on people. What we can do, however, is when people seek, when people reach for freedom and liberty, I believe that we do need to be there to appropriately support that. And for that, instance, that, let, me, let me give you for instance and tell me what you think of this. Sure. I think the biggest missed opportunity we have had since the Berlin Wall, was not standing up and at least verbally supporting the people in Iran. Oh, absolutely, Glenn. There's no doubt about it. That's what I'm talking about. Those people stood up and said, we want liberty. They, Glenn, they're humans like us. You know, they, right. As Thomas Jefferson said, the human mind was created free. And so anything that violates that truth is just that is just that it's a violation of truth and of, of natural order. But so, that doesn't yeah. mean that doesn't mean we go in no, like Reagan. Reagan, there's a million things we could do to support them. That's right. And we did none of them. That's right. And so a lot of people think these days either, OK, when they hear, you know, America must lead in the world, they think, oh, we're going to that means we're going to invade. We're going to do regime change, all of that. That's not, we need to break that up a little bit. We can lead without doing those things. We, in fact, we must lead, but we also must not overstep and, and do, so, for example, what we did in Iraq. Uh, what we're doing in Syria right now, we are only into regime change. We're destabilizing. We've already destabilized the whole Middle East. It's becoming uh, just a black hole of problems. Uh, Russia, on the other hand, uh, they have made friends with all the worst actors. Right. Um, we're having a proxy war. We're saying we're fighting ISIS. We're not. Um, it's a proxy war that's going on right now. We want to flip um, uh, Assad out. He's now been flipped to the Russian side. President Obama today is supposed to decide, I can guess which way we're going because it's on a Friday. Um, he's supposed to decide today whether or not we're going to aid in this humanitarian um, uh, effort and actually uh, go to war in Syria, really go to war in Syria. Russia is saying, don't you dare do it. This is the beginning or possibly a beginning uh, of a hot war uh, and, and what could turn into a world war. Agree or disagree, and what would you do as president? Well, look, I, I think Vladimir Putin wants us to believe that it could turn into a world war. Look, the, the reality is is that the Russian military is a fraction of its uh, you know, power size, its power, uh, you know, as it had in the Soviet era. They, they are not able to project force. They're in Syria, but just, you know, that's the most they can do. That's the most they can project. They can project across their border. But they, they just are uh, just a, a fraction of what they were. Uh, the U.S. military is far more powerful than that of Russia. We've both got nukes. Neither side wants to fight each other. That's the truth. Um, but if we asserted ourselves, wherever we assert ourselves, especially the further away you get from Russia, uh, the, the, the more the Russians just can't stand up to us. And they know that. The, the difference is, is that Vladimir Putin is willing to talk, talk a tough game and 
President Barack Obama is not willing to use real American power. And I don't mean that we have to engage, you know, full-on, in a full-on military uh, intervention. That's not what I'm talking about. But yeah, I'm talking about things like, you know, when Iran captures our, our sailors, you know, who are, uh, you know, right. mistakenly in the wrong place, and Iran right. captures them and humiliates them. Look, President Obama could have could have done more there. He could have stepped up and, and let Iran know that, that we weren't going to tolerate this. Instead, he gave them a bonus. And and that's just that's what I'm talking about. The the world does not respect our leadership anymore because we have a president who's who believes that we're not a force for good. We're a force for evil. Uh, I think he believes that, and we have been. And so he's going to pull us pull our leadership from the world. But look at what has happened since he's done that. We've it's, there's been an unprecedented growth in terrorism. Tyrants around the world have felt more empowered, and they they are you know invading other countries and slaughtering innocent civilians. This is if we ever wondered what would happen if the United States pulled its leadership entirely from the world. Now we know it's no, there's no mystery, and so we've got to find a middle ground that is just not an extreme. We just tend to go to extremes too much. We need the middle ground. Evan and Stu, you, uh, we talked to you on Pat and Stu uh, a week or two ago, yeah. and we talked about uh, briefly Aleppo, and you mentioned you'd actually been there. Yeah. What, 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 what did you learn while you were there, and what do you do about this situation that's obviously out of control? Well, the, the number one thing I learned there is that... Well, wait, please say, what's Aleppo? Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, don't. I'm kidding. Aleppo, <laughs> Go ahead. Aleppo. <laughs> Aleppo was a beautiful city. Let me just tell you that. It was a, you know built largely by the French. I mean, it was just a beautiful city, and unfortunately, no more. But... But look, you know, it's it's a it's an awful situation there, and uh, and and what we've got to do is, I believe, is we need to make sure that uh, that Bashar al-Assad knows that he cannot continue to slaughter innocent civilians, and I don't think that means a, an invasion of Syria. We don't need to do that, but as long as he continues to slaughter innocent civilians, what what happens is he creates an environment where terrorists thrive, and that means they have a place to to plan and plot attacks against us. And it creates these massive refugee flows that end up creating all kinds of instability. I mean, it's terrible for the refugees themselves. Let's not lose sight of their pain and suffering. But it also creates all kinds of instability in, in Europe and even in the United States. I mean, when we turn our back on, on the advancement of evil overseas like we have with ISIS and Bashar al-Assad, our civil liberties come under threat here in the United States. So what am I talking about? Glenn, you mentioned earlier, you know, wiretaps and things like that. This is exactly what happens. When we allow terrorists to thrive overseas, what happens is that our government gets a little bit out of control, and we start collecting bulk metadata on everyone. And so that's why, that's one of the reasons that we need to defeat evil abroad, like, you know, a massive terrorist army like ISIS, is to protect our civil liberties here at home. And that's not the only case. Our, our, our Second Amendment rights have come under threat as a result of terrorist attacks. You have the Democrats wanting to take law-abiding gun owners' weapons away because of terrorist attacks. Again, a violation of our civil, li- civil liberties. Another one is, uh, you know, religious tests for you know, uh, you know, who can enter the country. That's, a, I believe, a violation of what we stand for. You know, I don't believe that we have a Muslim problem. We have an Islamist terrorist problem, and we need to be smart enough to differentiate between the two, because actually you know, our Muslim allies are needed uh, in our effort to destroy Islamist terrorists. That's just a fact. Okay. Evan McMullen, back with him. Um, I want to cover three things with him, because his expertise is CIA, Goldman Sachs, 
and then uh, setting an agenda in Washington. Uh, he's running for president of the United States, and um, um, you should hear him. Uh, EvanMcMullen.com is the web address. Back in just a second, I want to talk to you about Goldman Sachs, your time there, and what you felt about the bailouts and what's coming uh, our way and what makes you different than the Wall Street Federal Reserve apologist if you were working at Goldman Sachs. Um, As we enter that, let me just say this. HSBC's technical analysis team has thrown up the ultimate warning sign A note was released yesterday, uh, no, two days ago, by Murray Gunn. He's the head of uh, the uh, technical analysis team. And he said, the orange alert has now become a red alert for an immediate sell-off in stocks given the price action over the past few weeks. Uh, He believes that there is a sell-off and a crash that is coming as big as 1987 at least. Yesterday, we had Harry Dent on, and he said stocks could go down as far as 70 to 90 percent in this crash, and it will take years for it to come back. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I know I've been saying this for a long time. We have survived a lot of things, but it is worse than it has ever been. It is much worse. The problem that I started warning about in 2006 is much worse than it was when it crashed in 2008. This one's going to feel, we're going to feel a lot of pain. I want you to call Goldline now, please. Um, Please, 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE. Read their important risk information. You're smart enough to do your own homework. Find out if it's right for you. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Evan McMullen is a guy who um, was so disgusted with the Republicans that uh, wasn't planning on running uh, and decided uh, somebody's got to stand up against this. This is not this is nuts. Um, And it might be the Overton window, but you are the only candidate I am hearing that it doesn't sound crazy. Um, And uh, it's it's refreshing (laughs) to hear somebody and have a normal conversation with them about politics. He's going to be on the ballot in probably about 45 states. By the time you get uh, in, the, the ballots are already going in, in in many states, so you may have missed that. But uh, 45 states uh, by, the, uh, by election day, he'll be on the ballot. And uh, we appreciate you having the guts to come back on and, and talk to us because I was listening to you yesterday, and, and a lot of things sounded really good. Yeah. Um, it sounded really good, and you're, I, I just like the way you handle yourself. Thank um, you. The things on your resume, I understand, like, for instance, Goldman Sachs, that does not make you an evil, you know, a part of the evil cabal. But that's what some people will say. Once you are touched by Goldman Sachs, you are for the bank bailouts. You're for all of that stuff. Tell me about the bank bailouts. Tell me what you think is coming economically. And if, like, say, Deutsche Bank uh, falls, does that cascade and how do you feel about bail-ins 
Well, well, let me just say, there are a couple of things I'd like to say here. First of all, just on a policy level, how I think about bank bailouts and you know the Fed's involvement in all of this. And then I, I feel the need to address something about myself here in that. But first of all, on the policy, uh, look, the, the Fed's role is to provide system-wide liquidity. That's, you know, that's, that's real monetary policy. I'm opposed to, uh, finance, to the bailout of financial institutions, specific institutions, by the Fed. That's not what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be a lender of last resort, meaning, uh, meaning uh, as a provider of liquidity to the overall market. Okay? So what, what I favor is, is a, a ban on Fed bailouts of specific uh, financial institutions. If the federal government wants to bail out any kind of individual firm or organization, then okay, it can do that, but it needs to be done that it needs to be done by Congress, by the people's representatives, and I think it, that would be highly unlikely if the people's representatives were voting on that. But it needs to be a fiscal decision, not a monetary decision. So I oppose that. I saw the HSBC uh, warning, and I, I've actually been telling people for several months now that, hey, the stock market isn't going to continue to climb, that I'm expecting some sort of downturn. Um, look, I hope it doesn't. I want us to climb, 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 and in the future, I think the future is bright. But there are, you know, it's part of the economic cycle. It's just what happens. Uh, but, but I think that if, if there is some sort of steep decline and if there is a crisis, uh, we still need to uh, take the approach that I've just described, and that is okay, that so the Fed should not be bailing out individual firms. All right. So, but you, do you believe a bailout of a private institution would be constitutional? Uh, no, not particularly, and I, I wouldn't support it either, but I, okay. I'm just saying that the people's representatives need Got to it. Okay. make these decisions, not the bureaucrats who are unaccountable at the Fed. Okay, good. All right, understand that. Hang on, we got to take a quick break, come back, and, uh, and more on the economy, and then more on the Republicans and the Republican Party and how they've been behaving in the last few years. Back in just a second with Evan McMullen, evanmcmullen.com. McMullen, he is running for president of the United States. He'll be on the ballot in 45 states. Um, uh, we wanted to have him on yesterday and give him a chance to uh, talk to the audience. And because uh, he is, it looks like he may, he may, he's poised, he's within the margin of error of, uh, of possibly winning Utah. It's tied 26-26. He's I think 22. you're a 22. It would be the first electoral votes won by a third-party candidate since 1968. Right. Uh, and if it spreads there, it could go through the Mountain West pretty quickly, um, which w- would put things into a really interesting place, possibly back in the House. Um, Evan, let me, um, uh, let me just pursue this just a little bit more, and sure. then I want to give you a chance to talk about your 
uh, personal history um, at Goldman Sachs that you said you wanted to talk about. Yeah. But can can you just help me out on uh, on the Fed? We have uh, we have digitally printed um, trillions of dollars. The Fed has a white paper out that says if there's another big recession. Um, they don't know what to do because all their levers are gone. Right. Uh, and they could, they, they feel that they would have to print at least $4 trillion in cash or digitize another $4 trillion. How do you suck all that money back without collapsing the system? Well, first of all, I think that we, we've got to build an economic system on uh, on reality. <laughs> Let's start there. You know, we've been doing a lot of quantitative quantitative easing that I think has tried to push off reality for a long time. We need to make start making just better decisions that allow our economy to thrive, and I'll talk about that. And and uh, we need to reform entitlements so that we don't have such a large debt and therefore have to pay so much interest and tax so much. Um, but one of the things that you know that we need to do to have an economy that that's based on a firm foundation is to get rid of crony capitalism. And I know that's become sort of a buzzword, but I want to tell you when I was working on the Hill as the chief policy director for the House Republicans, you know, it, just a, a few months ago actually, uh, somebody came to me and they said, "Look, we, you know, he was a lobbyist for a big industry. We'd like you to, uh, you know, here's a bill that we've drafted. We'd like you to advance this." I read the bill; it was five pages. And, uh, and I realized he was asking for regulation of his own industry. And I said to him, why would you want me to advance this? And I couldn't understand it. And he had some reason, well, it'll protect the reputation of our industry, that sort of thing. And I was sort of puzzled. He had about a dozen Republican members signed on to the draft bill. I went home that night, and I kept thinking about it. And then I realized what was going on. What he wanted to do is he wanted that law to be passed to regulate his industry because he knew that his clients, these big, big companies in that industry, could absorb the regulation and be just fine, but that smaller players in the industry, their, you know, their competitors, people who are innovating and disrupting yep. these established companies, would not be able to handle the reg- regulation. They were trying mm-hmm. to kill their competition. This is why we've got this economy that isn't real. It's, you know, it's propped up in different ways, and it's, it's not based on competition and innovation anymore. And we've got to end that. We've got to have the Republican Party's lost its way by siding only with Big corporate, you know, big corporations, not not with not with the, the goal of promoting an open economy in which there's competition and innovation. Uh, we found we find ourselves in a terrible monetary situation. They don't have very many levers left, but they shouldn't have been using those levers, at least not to the degree they did in the first place. Amen. Um, okay, so tell me your personal story on Goldman Sachs. Well, I just want to make the point that look, like I worked, I've worked very hard for everything I, I have in life. I spent a couple of years at Goldman Sachs. I, I did that after I left, after I completed my service at the agency and left uh, business school after I earned an MBA. I went there because I knew I would learn a lot, a lot about the economy and about how businesses thrive or don't thrive, and I did. I learned that, but. I just want people to understand that, you know, I, I grew up in a lower middle class family where we worked very, very hard. My parents worked three jobs. You know, in the summertime, we used to gather wood chips at a place that made pallets so that we could heat the house. Uh, otherwise, we, didn't, we couldn't afford to turn on the electric heat, so we wore coats around the house. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I grew up. You know, I used to overhear my parents talking about how we weren't going to be able to make the mortgage and we might lose the house. I mean, that's tough medicine for a kid. And if there's anything that's had an impact on me and has helped me understand sort of the struggles of a lot of Americans across this country, it's that, not, not two years at Goldman Sachs. 
So, Evan, um, I want to switch gears to the last piece on your resume is that you were policymaker for the House. Um, and, you know, for uh, many, many years, that would have been a good thing. But uh, in the last few years, that's not necessarily something to herald. Um, you know, you the House and the Senate have more the Senate than the House, but have totally lost their way. Um, and uh, they don't represent the people anymore. They say they get there and they're going to change the world, and then they just sell out like everybody else. Yeah. What sets you apart from the, you know, the uh, Mitch McConnells and, quite honestly, the Orrin Hatches of the world in the Senate that uh, are part of the system that have no desire or even see the problems that the average American sees? Well, look, it's a good point, Glenn, but I just want to point out that I think it should be clear to everybody based on the fact that I decided to leave there and do what I'm doing now that I am not one of them. So I, I would have been very easy for me to just stay in place and, and you know, enjoy life, as it were, but, but I did not do that. I, just, I chose a different path. And while I was there, you know, I fought for reforming unauthorized spending. Over $300 billion a year uh, in our discretionary spending goes unauthorized by Congress. That's just Congress not doing its job. Then we have entitlements that are two, over two-thirds of the budget right now. They're on autopilot. Congress, it, it has power of the purse, but it does not review these uh, these programs really ever, just once in a blue moon. It should be done, uh, if not every year, on some regular basis. And it just doesn't happen, and that's why we've got a massive, it's a big reason why we've got such a massive, uh, a massive uh, national debt. So when I was there, I'll tell you what I fought for. I fought for, you know, I, you know, I, I drafted a, a bill called uh, the USA Act, the Unauthorized Spending Accountability Act. Uh, we were working on a similar effort for mandatory spending, that's entitlements. Um, I fought for reforming the VA. The VA is a socialized health care system that's leaving our veterans out to die when they need health care. They're literally dying, some of them, waiting for health care. I mean, this, these are the kinds of things I do. And I fought for sort of stronger national security policy along the lines that I described earlier, which is not, you know, which is a middle ground where we lead but with less blood and treasure. These are the things that I fought for while I was there. And when Donald Trump started to rise in the polls and through the primaries, I stood up again and told leaders in the House that they should not support him. And in fact, I invited some of them to run against Trump. And they wouldn't do it, and I saw how they got on board one by one, and ultimately I decided that I needed to step up because they wouldn't. So that's who I am. That's what I did while I was there. Can I go back to um, Syria a bit? Because today is the day that we are supposed to decide, the president is supposed to decide what we do in Syria. Would you, would you recommend a, a no-fly zone in northern Syria or the use of, of man pads um, by the rebels in Aleppo? Um, well, I, I would. Uh, I do support preventing Assad from being able to carry out airstrikes against civilians. There are a number of ways you can do it. You can do it with a no-fly zone or an air exclusion zone. Um, you, you can also do it with. Uh, you could just crater the runways of, of Syria's uh, uh, air force and destroy a couple helicopters, and then you, you'd have done it. You wouldn't need it. It'd be a de facto no-fly zone. There are just so many ways you can get it done on the cheap or you know more thoroughly. Uh, but yes, I think we should. Why do I think we need to do that? We need to do that to uh, take some pressure off the refugee crisis. We need to do that so that our allies on the ground can uh, more effectively push back against the Iranians, Hezbollah, 
uh, and Assad who are all fighting there and, and slaughtering innocent civilians. We need to change the dynamic on the battlefield there so that we can negotiate Bashar al-Assad. Well, what I, what I, but what I'm really asking you is, is um, you know, if we give Stinger missiles, uh, man pads to the, the rebels, um, you know, doesn't that draw us into the conflict when Russia starts losing airplanes? If we, um, you know, if we call a no-fly zone, uh, we have to defend it. And doesn't that also draw us into a conflict with Russia? Well, Glenn, on no on man pads or Stinger missiles, I've I've been very cautious about that. I haven't called for that uh, because I, it, it just gets complicated and dangerous for a, a lot of reasons. You you know, if you can't control them, it's it's just very yeah. dangerous. But we do have special forces operating in Syria, and I think they ought to have them, and I think they ought to use them, frankly. And uh, but there are other ways to prevent Assad's air force from uh, attacking civilian targets. On the Russians, you know, Glenn, so many people in America have accepted this idea that Russia is this massive force that it just isn't anymore. Yes, they do have nuclear weapons, but in conventional terms, they do not have the ability. If we if we simply told them, and I, I don't mean to say it's simple, but if we if we had a leader, a strong leader who communicated to the world that we weren't going to tolerate this kind of thing, that's half the battle. And if we projected uh, power in, in Russia uh, and, and, and conveyed to the Russians that we were no longer going to accept these attacks on civilians, because they're doing them too, um, I believe that, that that alone would have an effect. I think another thing we need to do is we need to paint the entire country with radar so that we can track every time a Russian and a Syrian uh, aircraft, either fixed wing or rotary, attack civilians. And we need to compile a list to hold all of those people accountable for slaughtering innocent civilians, Russia and one Syria. One last question, because um, I haven't talked to you about either candidate, but um, Trump is embroiled in uh, what was, was clearly obvious uh, to some of us a year ago. Um, uh, you know, this kind of scandal that Bill Clinton uh, went through. Um, there are many, even religious people, that are defending this, even though they were saying character matters back in the 90s. Where do you stand on this? On whether character matters? Yeah, on the, on the, on the, the Trump scandal. When you, when you see this, where do you stand on? He's still drawing crowds of 15,000, 20,000. Yeah, well, well, look, I'm disappointed by that, but, you know, that, that's perhaps where our country is today. You know, I don't draw that many. I'm drawing a lot more as I go. It's been really incredible. Um, but, look, those of us who understand why Donald Trump um, does not represent what's good in the world, to put it very politely and mildly, um, those of us who understand this truth need to stand up and others will follow. And, and I, I believe those who are standing with me, they, they recognize the evil where it is, and they oppose it. And we are outnumbered, but I've been outnumbered, any, I've been outnumbered before, and I'll be outnumbered any day of the week with the people who are standing with me against Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Okay, we so are in a leadership crisis right now because, we have, uh, because we've disengaged as Americans from the political process too much. And we've allowed the parties, the two major parties, to tell us that we've got to choose between their terrible choice options that they give us. We've got to stand up. We've got to engage more. We need a new era of civic engagement. We need to rededicate ourselves to the principles that I've outlined in the document, Principles for New American Leadership, which can be found on my website. Um, but it's on us. We cannot depend on our leaders anymore. It is on us to drive change. It is on us to hold our leaders accountable, accountable for their policies and their character. 
Donald yep. Trump is, is not a force for good. He is destroying our country, even as a candidate, and he must be opposed, and the same is true for Hillary Clinton. Evan, thank you very much. If people want to get involved real quick, where's, where do they go? EvanMcMullen.com. Please sign up as a volunteer. Please contribute. We need all the support we can get. We're, having amazing, we've, we're getting amazing traction and making amazing progress, but we need help. EvanMcMullen.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> you bet. Um, and you should read his principles. Yesterday he read the principles of what has to happen and uh, very constitutionally based. And uh, how do you feel about him, Stu? He's your front runner? Yeah, I've taken the Stu poll recently. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're about to release uh, new results from the Stu poll. Oh, yeah. And that is not, you know, me polling the audience or, or the. That's voters. just it's you. It's just what my intern. I'm taking the Glenn poll right. here in the next couple of minutes, too. I, feel like I'm I like, may be releasing a new Glenn poll as well. I feel like I'm like. <clears throat> 45% McMullen, 35, 30%, 30% Castle, the rest, Johnson, maybe? I'm going to be doing yeah, something tonight. I'm really, I think I'm about 45% McMullen, uh, 35% Castle, and the rest of it is syrup. Syrup. So if you would have talked to him today about uh, you know more important things with BYU football, perhaps. Yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Here's our sponsor this half hour. Competition is good. It makes a business better. Same when you're hiring. Competition helps you find the best person. But finding that right person in a sea of candidates is very difficult. <clears throat> Do what we've done when we use ZipRecruiter.com. <clears throat> with ZipRecruiter.com, you can post 100-plus job sites, all with a single click. That includes Facebook and Twitter. You can find any candidate in any city, any industry, nationwide. You post once, and you watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. There's no juggling emails, no calls to your office. You screen the candidates, you rate them, and you hire the right person fast. ZipRecruiter. Been used over by a million businesses nationwide. We are one of those businesses. Right now, you can post jobs at ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Try it now for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at GlennBeck.com. Mercury. Seven two seven back. This is the Glenn Beck program. Stu, how are you looking at the uh, the poll numbers? I see the electoral electoral college ratings. It's not looking good. Well, I mean, it, uh, there's no way that board can look with these current candidates that it looks good. <laughs> uh, it could be five thirty eight on one side or five thirty eight on the other, and I would not be pleased with it. This is what I believe it actually is at the moment. Um, based on polling and... and uh, so you believe it is 180 for Trump? Yep, 180 for Trump, 307 for Clinton. So at what around. point, Stu, at what point is, do you call that a bloodbath? Uh, well, I mean, 307 wow. is not a blood... Like, if, if, for example, if Donald Trump sweeps the uh, toss-up states, which we have currently is Ohio, Arizona... Iowa, wasn't North he? Carolina. Been, wait, that's toss-up. Wasn't he nine points behind in Ohio in the poll I saw this week? 
Uh, he's had some bad polling in Ohio. He's had some okay polling in Ohio. Okay. So one poll I don't usually, you know. Okay. Check. Are you putting Texas in a toss-up now that it's the it, latest poll shows its margin of error? I want to see a little bit more. Right now I have it. I've moved it from a solid Republican to a leaning Republican. That's amazing. Um, which is amazing. Um, but again, if he if he were to sweep all the toss-ups, it wouldn't. It might be Romney level blowout. But I mean, is he going to sweep every toss-up state? It's tough. America, and welcome to the program. So what's going to fix our country? It's not going to be a Band-Aid. It's not going to be a candidate. It's going to have to start at you. It's going to have to start in your home with your children. Uh, it's going to have to It's going to have to reignite in our communities and in our churches. We have somebody who has been there, done that, and has realized... Washington or the political machine is not the answer. We go to him right now. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn I want to introduce you to a guy David Barton absolutely loves. We've had him in. He's a state representative in Oklahoma doing everything humanly possible to stop Common Core in the uh, Sooner State. He is wisely getting out of politics. He's a a pastor, and he found his calling in uh, teaching using real history of the original Black Robe Regiment. He wrote a book. He produced a DVD. It's really well done. Um, It is something that I think every homeschooler, uh, and quite honestly, every church uh, should be using as a teaching tool. It is called the Black Robe Regiment, and uh, Dan Fisher is with us now. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi, Glenn. I'm fine. Thank you for having me on your program this morning. I, I know that you have, um, uh, you're have you a little worn out by politics uh, in Oklahoma, <laughs> where I, I, I'm amazed. You would think at a state like Oklahoma— uh, things wouldn't be as bad as they are. But what you went through with Common Core is just remarkable. Well, it was unbelievable, Glenn. Unfortunately, in Oklahoma, like in so many places, folks campaign as conservatives, but once they get there, they begin to cave to the pressures, they begin worrying about getting reelected, and they begin to compromise their principles. But you know what, Dan? It's not even that they, um, it's not even when they get there. I mean, look at what we have done. Look what our churches have done oh. in the last yeah. year. They have, comp- we, with the reason that our, our faith is going to come under attack um, and we're going to lose uh, our privileges, uh, possibly, uh, under a Clinton administration, they are willing to sell their principles and basically say what George Bush said when he bailed out the system, I have to betray the free market system 
to save the free market system. I have to, I have to betray my principles to save my principles and my faith. It doesn't work yeah. that way. And, and no, people, don't, people don't understand that yet. No, they don't. You know, I heard years ago that opinions are things we fight for, principles are things we die for. And I, I think that's a pretty good rule to live by. So uh, I was reading, uh, I think it was John Adams earlier this week, and he said the real revolution in America happened years before the Declaration of Independence. And it happened in the willingness to think out of the box, think differently, to teach principles and live them at the house and in the churches. How are we going to start that again? Well, that's definitely a tall order, Glenn. I think, I think the beginning is that we solidify our own bedrock principles, know what we believe. You, you preach this all the time on your program. And then secondly, we have to become students of history again, especially when we talk about the Black Regiment and what the Church was doing up to the signing of the Declaration, and then, of course, the inevitable clash with the British that came from there. We have to go back to, to that time, and I realize that not everything will transfer to the 21st century, but the principles will, and that's what's critical. Tell me about um, uh, how popular, I mean, looking back at the Black Red Robe Regiment, our churches are not what they were now. Our churches were the, they were the, uh, in many ways, the entertainment center of the community yeah. as well. You know, that was the only place you could go hear really people in the average community. You could hear the news from the pulpit. You could, you could, yeah. um, uh, you know, kind of get almost your entertainment and your, your, your whole culture was around the church. It's not like that. Um, I think the churches have betrayed themselves so much, especially with the millennials, that they don't see, they don't see anything in that anymore. You're hearing people, um, even in the conservative movement now, and churches that have betrayed these principles. How do you get the churches to even be in a position to where anybody wants to listen to them um, uh, and be able to start this over again? Well, Glenn, to be honest with you, it's going to take a revival among true believers. You know, the Church of the 18th century that led up to the signing of the Declaration and the pivotal role that they played were birthed out of what we'd call a revival that swept through the colonies a couple of decades before that we call the First Great Awakening. Before that, the Church was actually very decadent. They even had something called the halfway covenant, where they were so hungry for members, they would accept you as a member, if you, even if you didn't claim faith in Christ or hadn't been baptized, they'd just accept you as a member, hoping that that would come later. But then the, the, the first great awakening that we call it swept through those colonies, and there was a revival of spiritual depth and commitment, and that's what produced the preachers that the British called the Black Regiment, and that, that I've written about in my book, and go around telling the story of, they came out of a renewal. And that's what has to happen today if, if we're going to see any real change. Dan, I, I saw, and maybe this is kind of what you're talking about in, to some regard, um, you know, I've been reading a lot. People are trying to, say, you know, that religion is under attack. And while religion is under attack, it, it's not, we are not persecuted. Um, the persecuted are happening in Syria, 
the persecuted are happening in China, and the faith is growing in those places. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of wondered, you know, in Isaiah it says, you know, I'll clean out my own house first. Um, yeah. his, he, there is a house cleaning going on right now. Um, but persecution, I, I, I'm not one voting for persecution, but I'm just saying <laughs> a, a, a little bit of persecution on our churches to where they have to decide, you know, do I believe in this enough to give up my tax benefits yeah. might be a good thing. You know, because you'll no. separate, you'll separate the the believers from the not. If you're willing to pay taxes on it, and and because you believe it, well, that that's a little bit of persecution coming your way, and it, it might do a lot of good. Sure. Oh, I, I agree with you. you. You take an athlete. If an athlete did not work out, didn't run, didn't lift weights, and just sat around eating potato chips on the couch watching television, they would grow soft and flabby. That is what has happened to the American church. We have not exercised spiritual muscle. We've had it too easy. I'm like you. I, I certainly am not voting for persecution. But if you look in history, the early church in the book of Acts, they were persecuted mercilessly, but yet they were strong and committed. And in every other place where you just named, the church is flourishing, not only flourishing, flourishing in a way that, that we wouldn't define in America. We define flourish in America in the church world as church growth. How many people are in the seats? how much is coming in in the offering place. They gauge growth by spiritual maturity, and that's a whole different standard, and that's a standard that God uses. And that's why he said, even Peter said it in 1 Peter 4, judgment will begin, God says, at my house. And, of course, you're familiar with the Second Chronicles 7 passage where God says, if my people who are called by my name, God is not waiting on the unbelieving segment of a population in order to move. He's waiting on his people to get right with him, and then he moves. And if they don't get right, he doesn't. Um, do you believe that we are in the situation we're in um, today? And I don't mean just this election. Um, uh, because of the failures of the church and the faithful? Glenn, I completely believe it. And, and that's coming from one who's been preaching since he was 16 I was a full-time vocational pastor at the age of 23, and I'm now 57. So I'm speaking to you as one who has been in those ranks. It's the church's fault. I'm telling you, everything that is going on, and I'll go even a step further, Glenn, it's the pulpit's fault. Preachers who have compromised in order to grow congregations and grow their budgets and all of those things. Barna did a study in 2014, you're probably familiar with it, where he polled hundreds of pastors, 97% of them said that the Bible addresses all of the social ills that are going on in our culture. But almost the same number said they're not going to preach on those things. And when Barna drilled down into their answers, he found that the top two reasons that they weren't going to deal with those issues, coming from the preachers themselves, is they were afraid it would hurt their attendance and it would hurt the size of their offerings. It's very similar to what you hear from people that go to Washington when they begin to compromise. They say, and I think this is the same attendance thing. I know when, when somebody in Washington has been lost, when they call me and say, hey, listen, I'm going to vote on this bill, but I'm doing it because, look, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose this, this, and this, or I won't get this committee seat, and I, I, I write yeah. them off immediately. And it's, I think that's I the same thing. My 
tithings are going to go down or I'm going to lose people in the seats. And, and if I'm not doing it, well, then, you know, who is going to be? It's much yeah. better to be sitting there with 100 people over 1,000 people if those 100 people are actually living it. Oh, that's exactly right. Glenn, I saw it happen in the, in the Oklahoma House. We had a, a bill that I was running for the Speaker of the House and the pro tem of the Senate that was a response to the Obama transgender bathroom issue. It was a very simple, not offensive response. Really, it wasn't as strong as I wanted it to be. But four Republicans on the committee flipped, tied the bill 10 to 10, and killed it effectively. And these are people that I guarantee you say in their common discussions that they stand for all of the right things. But when the chips are down and they're worried about self-interest or self-preservation, they fold. When, when I first got elected in 2012, my very first term where I didn't even know up from down – I had colleagues who were also freshmen already raising money for their reelection two years from then. This is a uh, this is a book and a DVD that you, that you have to see, especially for homeschooling uh, or churches. If you want to be a part of the solution, if you're just a if you're just a faithful person uh, and you want to be part of the solution, the the name of it is bringing back the black robe regiment uh, regiment. Uh, it's written by Dan Fisher. The uh, DVD is also available, uh, the uh, resonancemovement.com. Uh, can you get this on Amazon and everything else? Do you know, Dan? You can, Glenn. I'll tell you the best place that they can go to to get it is, is my personal website, danfisherbrr.com, which BRR stands for Black Robe Regiment. That's the easiest way for them to get it. Okay. Um, I highly recommend it. It's a great book. It's a great. It's not a... It's not a uh, video with a bunch of lectures on it. It's um, it's cinematic <laughs> in its presentation and very very well done. Um, and Dan, I, you, I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Glenn, and thank you for helping us to get this story out. Let me just say, if I may, the story of the of those preachers from the 18th century is immaterial unless we can transfer it to the 21st century. It's not what they did; it's why they did it, and it's the same thing we're facing today. We must step up and speak out. Do you think there's enough preachers that are brave enough to do this now? I mean, it's a pretty scary thing to look at losing all that you've built. And I will tell you that it goes through your mind. If I'm not here, well, who will? And oh, I mean, I know. Is, is, are there enough people that you have met to be able to do this anymore, Dan? Glenn, Glenn I think so. You know, if we go back to the Black Regiment, they were just a fraction of all the preachers. Now, they were a large group. It wasn't just a handful of rebel rousers, but still, it, they didn't represent the majority of preachers. God generally works with a remnant, and I'm not suggesting that we ought to always want a remnant, but Man. a little in the hands of the Lord is a lot. And I do. I'm encountering, I spoke to over 400 pastors in Branson, Missouri last week doing my live presentation that I travel all over the country doing in period costume with actual flintlocks from the War of Independence, those guys went berserk. Glenn, I do think, it's kind of like the the, the 7,000 God said that he had kept from worshiping Baal in Elijah's day. I think there are people out there, but we've got to get the word out. Most people don't know the, the pivotal role that the Church played in our War of Independence. They're completely clueless. When they hear black-robed regiment, they think we're talking about judges. 
They don't they don't even know who these men were because we've dumbed down our education so much. But I do think that there are men out there. Now you're right. When we start talking about the sacrifice that people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer made in World War II, or the many of these black robe preachers, a good number of them, Glenn, were killed on the battlefield while trying to surrender. So there is a cost associated with it. There just is. Dan Fisher, uh, bring back the Black Robe Regiment. Uh, Dan Fisher, BRR, uh, dot com. Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Sponsor of this half hour is Casper Mattress. Your days will be more productive when you've had a good night's sleep on a Casper mattress. I have a Casper mattress. Pat does, too. By the way, keep Pat in your prayers. He's, there's a lot of family stuff going on that's just tragic, and, and uh, he has shingles, and, I mean, he's Job. <laughs> He has become uh, Job. Why are you laughing at his shingles? Just because. It's so bad. It is so. He comes in and that is not the guy. Talking about it, that could be on fire, and he's not the guy who will say "ow." And he sat in here yesterday, and we kept saying to him, "Go, go home. home, get out of here." And he and he kept. He would take his. He'd leave his headphones on, and I'm the only one that doesn't wear two headphones. And I would hear him, and he'd reach over and he'd turn his microphone off, and he didn't think anybody could hear him or see him, and he'd go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, go home, Pat. Anyway, great night's sleep. Casper uh, has been ma- named Time Magazine's be- one of their best inventions of 2015. It ships for free. You try it in your home for 100 nights. We were talking about the price point. Um, the king size, the top of the line king size is under $1,000. You can't get a great bed under $1,000 for a king size. Um, this, is, this is top of the line. It is entirely a new way of doing business and making these beds. It's a new, form, uh, new foam uh, mattress itself, and it is a new system. You put it in your house for 100 nights, you don't love it, they refund every penny and come and pick it up, no questions asked. Casper.com. Offer code Beck. Go there now. Terms and conditions do apply. It's Casper.com. Offer code Beck. The Glenn Beck Program. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. People don't need to know. That's people the need point. To know. Well, they don't yes, need they to do. know. That's they the do. point. It's, it's all over the place. But people already know. It's not going to help. I'm trying to deny it. Oh, already uh, It's oh, everywhere, and, yeah. uh, and and I, and you're going to force you to talk about it because you've been ignoring it all day, and the show's getting close to being over. Yeah. Uh, there well, is, I just don't think people need to know. I mean, well, there's a very clear um, accounts payable notice right. from the Clinton Foundation that is oh, circulating boy. the internet right now. This is trouble. Uh, it is trouble for you. It's not trouble for me. Oh, man. <laughs> you know why? I didn't take money from the Clinton Foundation. That's why. Wow. Okay. On this list, under uh, in between the two very credible vending machines and water category. Right. Okay. Right. 
There is another category in yeah. alphabetical order, which shows this is real. Yes. Shows it from October. Uh, a category that the Clinton Foundation in its internal documents titled voter suppression. Voter suppression. Okay, they are they've put made payments to suppress voters. Who have they made payments to? Well, let's let's, let's see. Let's see some okay. names. Let's All see right. some names on there. Okay. Um uh, uh, Tony Resco. Remember Holy him? Holy cow. Yeah. Tony Resco. Closely with uh, Obama. Wow. Okay. Wow. How about this? The Sharia Law Center. Okay. Oh my gosh. How about this? Holy Public man. policy polling. A scientific oh. pollster with Democratic ties. Wow. They're paying them to manipulate polls, polls to keep people away from voting. Right, right. How about this? Organizing for America, the Obama administration. Holy cow. How about this? Monmouth University, an A-plus rated pollster, but they've been paid, <laughs> paid by, by the Clinton Foundation wow. to manipulate it. And right. they've risked their entire uh, credibility, credibility over $80,000, which is like, I believe, two <laughs> students worth of, uh, 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 of tuition. Uh, tuition. But However, there's more. There's more on this yes. list. Um, how about Evan McMullen, the guy you just oh had on the air? God. What? He got paid. Um, and Glenn freaking Beck that received $109,000 from the Clinton Foundation to manipulate votes. Holy cow. Um, as well as ACORN, an organization that no longer exists. <laughs> um, but still, you've been caught. Confess. I will next. Okay, good. Yeah. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. On the wonderful world of Stu, Gary Johnson has the chance to win Stu's vote, and all he has to do is answer some very meticulously thought-out, multi-tiered questions. But don't worry, there aren't any questions about Aleppo. Just saying. Woodrow Wilson is back with Letters from Hell with his advice on dieting and cutting the declaration out of your life for good. And you'll learn why hip-hop gets a pass from social justice advocates. Yo. Don't miss the fun on a brand new episode of The Wonderful World of Stew. The show's so environmentally friendly, we use the word world right in the title. Tonight at 8 Eastern and on demand all weekend at theblaze.com slash TV. This is the show where anybody who feels the fat lady has sung and nobody heard it, this is the place for you. Welcome uh, to the uh, program. Glad you're here. Although we did find out a scandal uh, that uh, Stew... Uh, has exposed i look yes do we have are we planning tonight to do the gary johnson thing yes however i might cancel that all just to cover this your scandal your ongoing scandal of the clinton foundation payments to you now yes they've made some payments to healthy you vending uh and coke solutions Mm -hmm. they solve your coca-cola related problems right solutions right um, I, and and look we know that just shows how accurate it is yeah because they wouldn't put it in there because why? If they were just you're trying to gonna, frame you with this, they wouldn't just, put their vending machine to, list on there. It's not like some guy just started like thinking, "What could I do to make a bogus invoice?" Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. Because first of all, you'd need a printer. You'd need a highlighter. So okay, so there. Let me. <laughs> and who has that? And who has all those things? Who has all one? That? Oh yeah, there's some conspiracy where people have both printers and highlighters no. in their home, and then. 
access to the World Wide Web. Right, to post it. They'd have right. to post it. Right. That's okay. Crazy. Not to mention they'd have to know the internal spelling of Clinton Foundation, which is the same way you'd normally spell it. They'd have to know it was the same. <laughs> right. Which is, unless you're and in the would, organization, who wouldn't know that. And only the Clinton Foundation would give money to ACORN, a defunct group. Right. Now, sure. Did they spend $89,000 giving it to ACORN, a group that no longer exists and is defunct? Right. Yes, sure. I mean, sure, they did that. Yes. But that's only because they know more about ACORN than you do. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. William Ayers. Mm-hmm. I love it because it's just like this. Whoever made this is like, ah, uh, what are some organizations that I've heard that are bad? Acorn is bad. The Black Panthers are bad. Black Lives Matters is bad. William Ayers is bad. Tony Resco, remember that guy? He's bad. <laughs> and now I'll tie them into Republicans I don't like or conservatives who aren't supporting Trump. So there's a list of Evan McMullen. William Crystal, uh, uh, Glenn Beck, and then on addition, in addition to that, it's like pollsters who keep featuring polls that are behind that show Donald Trump behind. Yeah, Monmouth. Monmouth. We've heard we've heard Monmouth. He's like, I don't even know what that poll. Is. It's one of the most respected polling. Uh, uh, a plus rated poster. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. I don't even know what that is. Now they're taking money from the Clinton Foundation. Well, they're also paying the Sharia Law Center. <laughs> I'm thinking, think of how, st- I mean, honestly, I, I don't want to insult anyone who may have shared this. Right. But how stupid do you have to be to believe the Clinton Foundation has a category of payment in which they themselves, in print, have titled it voter suppression? <laughs> how stupid do you have to be pretty stupid pretty stupid pretty stupid pretty stupid pretty stupid now i have uh now, i just want you to know how much did i get paid you got paid uh one hundred and nine thousand dollars so here's how smart this is martha stewart she was a dummy all right i got 120 she got what 60 you got 109 i got 100 so you, were you paid more oh, yeah, i was paid more now listen I could do five, I could sit down and do five commercials and I could make more money than that. (laughs) What I did was I risked being exposed as on the Clinton Foundation payroll, but they were never going to release this. I'm so mad that they had this released. They didn't. Oh, those Russians. We got to go to war with Russia now. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so I risked that and... They didn't pay me to do commercials. That would be too obvious. What they did is they paid me to do 40 minutes of anti-Hillary stuff last week. So I did a full 40. It was actually, when you break it up over the 40, it was about an hour. So instead of charging my usual commercial rate, which would have been a lot more and I could have finished in five minutes, I spent a whole hour of radio time tearing her apart, which is the genius of it. Right, because you, you, to suppress voters, you tell people how bad Hil- Hillary Clinton it is. <laughs> so bad. I mean, you know, look. Okay, but I, wait, 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 wait. This is the mentality. Have you heard the latest? But Hang on just a Before I get the latest reason. Oh, no, because the reason is really good. Oh, I the reason hear. is really good. No, I'm going to expose it. Go ahead. Before, you okay. know what? And then I'll get to my document that I happen okay. to find and leak. All right. Uh, so I was just looking at the uh, list of people that have come out and said that they were sexually assaulted by Donald Trump. It runs six pages now. Uh, 
Yeah, the CNN last night was saying 10. I don't, I don't know where that number's from exactly. Oh, you want to hear them? Sure. They're pretty amazing. Uh, Trump walked into the dressing room, 1997, Miss Teen, USA beauty pageant. And that one was before. Any, that uh, one Saying, don't worry, ladies, I've seen it all before. Uh, this is the one where he said, now these girls are 15 years old, some of them. And um, he, this is the one where he said he was on d- 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 Howard Stern. So he can't deny this because it's, he's on Howard Stern saying, yeah, you know, I can get away with that. Um, uh, let's see. A woman claimed that Trump groped her at a Mar-a-Lago uh, event. Her name is uh, Mindy McGilvery. Helping photographers, uh, he, she said, I thought I was, uh, I felt a grab and a little nudge. I thought it was the camera bag of the photographer behind me. That was my first instinct, but I turned around and there was Donald. He so- looked away, sort of looked away quickly. I quickly turned back. I said, Donald Trump just grabbed my ass. <laughs> um, uh, not uh, Donald Trump is accused of raping a 13-year-old girl in 1994. Now, this, is, this, is a, this one's actually in the courts. Mm-hmm. This yeah. one's disturbing, but we've never talked about it because it's in the courts. We don't want to try it on the air. But now that this is all out, this is, I don't know anything about this particular case, but we do know that he, he did go, remember Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, it was that. It's related to that. Yeah, he was on apparently on the private island. This girl said he was the one who raped me. Right. And um, it's a tough one for the Clintons to uh, prosecute against because, because Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was also involved. In Correct. It. Nothing happens with this case now until December, right? Yes. So, um, okay, so then uh, Trump is accused of groping a make- makeup artist, uh, Jill Harth. Uh, she said he ran his hands up my skirt and to my crotch. Um, it, uh, happened in Ivanka Trump's bedroom. He gave a tour of the, and went into Ivanka's bedroom. I was admiring the decorate, the, dec- uh, the decoration. The next thing I know, he was pushing me against the wall. His hands were all over me. Uh, and he was trying to kiss me. His hands were on my crotch and he was trying to kiss me. I was freaking out. A woman who used to write for People magazine says Trump sexually assaulted her, Natasha Stoinoff. Uh, she said, we walked into a room alone. Trump shut the doors behind us. I turned around, and within seconds, he pushed me against the wall. He was forcing his tongue down my throat. Um, I'm a tall, strapping girl. Uh, used to wrestle my two giant brothers. I sparred with Mike Tyson once. Takes a lot to push me, but Trump is much bigger, a looming figure, and he was fast, taking me by surprise and throwing me off balance. I was stunned. I was grateful when Trump's longtime butler burst into the room a minute later, and I tried to unpin myself. The butler informed us that Melania would be down momentarily. I was still in shock and remained speechless as we both followed him into an outdoor patio overlooking the grounds. In those few minutes alone with Trump, my self-esteem crashed to zero. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Another woman on an airplane, uh, she said he was like an octopus. His hands were everywhere. It was an assault. He began to touch her, that he grabbed my breast, and then he put his hand up my skirt. Um, Miss Washington, USA, alleges that he groped her. Miss Utah uh, said that he kissed her without, um, on the mouth without consent and then kissed her again. Um, allege, uh, he allegedly, um, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, used very lewd uh, language in regard to women. Vanity Fair editor Graydon Carter recalled a Swedish model came, uh, came to him with incredibly, it was incredibly upset, sitting next to Donald Trump, and implored that uh, she would be seated at a different table. Uh, it seems that Trump had spent his entire time with her saying the breasts, if you will, and legs of the other female guests 
um, and was pointing them out, asking how they measured up to those of other women, including his wife. Um, She said, he is the most vulgar man I have ever met. Um, Trump is accused of treating female players, uh, employees poorly, at least in 20 different lawsuits. Those are just, there's a couple more that are kind of sketchy, but those are just that. Now, here's the latest. First of all, we should, before we go on to the latest, uh, we should apologize um, for, you know, we're never Trump, uh, at least I am. I don't know if you just find yourself that way, but uh, we should apologize for our role uh, in convincing these women that Donald Trump groped them. Um, Because we all know that if he loses this election, it's all our fault. And the fact that we have gone to each individual woman and convinced them that they were assaulted by this guy In retrospect, it's inexcusable, and we should not have done it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, anyone who who thinks uh, who's going to blame us for this, you own it. I'm I'm, you're owning. That was not the words I was going to use. Yes, that's a problem, though. That's and and we should apologize for it because if he loses by ten points, well, we our fault. Here's the thing, and we also didn't alert the American people all last year that with this kind of history, this is exactly what was going to happen. Um, in the October surprise. Right. So we didn't, we didn't, we should have we failed we to say have. an October surprise with this guy, <laughs> with the way he treats women, right. it's going to be ugly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, don't worry about that. Um, now, yesterday, his defense that he actually used was, I didn't do that with that woman. I mean, look at her. Do you think I would do it with her? Right. It was, I, uh, I mean, look uh, at her. What do you, I would look at her words. Take a look. You look at her. Look at her words. You tell me what do you think. I don't think so. <laughs> so in other words, you think I'm going to do that with ugly people? That's certainly- look at how ugly she is. Oh my and people gosh, say yeah. I don't give to charity. If I would have done it, it would have been a charity case. <laughs> I would have done it. For her to give her a little self-esteem that a man as great as I would stoop to grab her in the crotch. That's exactly. Oh my gosh! How offensive is that? And look, we would wait. There's a new development. There is. There is a new development. Who would you think Donald Trump would blame here? He's blaming it on somebody now. (laughs) He's finally found the culprit on who is responsible for all of these women. And it's, well, not, it's not Glenn Beck. I mean, we've, we've, we've tried the media. Mm-hmm. We've tried the press. I mean, we've tried, we've tried the media. The, we've tried the press. And we tried, tried the banks. Tried the banks. The banks. Yep, yep, yep. We said that they were just ugly. Why would he do that with ugly women? Right. Okay. I mean, if he was going to do no, it. No, he's found the real culprit. Uh, today, he is, um, is uh, pushing that it is uh, Carlos uh, Slim, a oh Mexican that is behind all of this. Stunningly, he's blaming a Mexican. <laughs> in an un, uh, unseen development, Donald Trump has decided to blame a Mexican. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. Well, I mean, and this is... I mean, they know rapists, right? right? Yeah, they're all rapists, first yeah. of all. Yeah. I mean, this is Breitbart City. You can see the exact moment. You know, every once in a while, they'll show that video where, like, someone, and then they show it in slow motion where they realize something has gone horribly wrong, and you see their facial expression change. We've seen that moment with the Trump campaign where he switched from Roger Ailes... To Bannon. Yep. Right before that debate. Uh, and ever since, it has been literal freefall for this organization. His response to all these accusations is to come out and blame Mexico and, so and, I, and the I richest see, man in Mexico. I will tell you this. I keep hearing from places, you know, that are Breitbart-like that 
this is all media manufactured. This is not, there, there is no evidence that this is in free fall. That there's no, that nobody's abandoning him. Nobody's leaving him. There's I no. Mean, the polls are a disaster for him right now. I mean, you know, again, if you believe Donald Trump, you believe the polls aren't real. This is why they put in that in the fake document about you. They also included scientific pollsters to make it look like they're taking money from the Clinton Foundation to manipulate their How results. How dangerous is this? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so dangerous. It's ridiculous. But I mean, look. To defend Donald Trump a little bit on on, the, on this, we don't know how many of these are real. It's right. very possible in a presidential campaign that some of these women are completely oh, yeah, yeah. fake. Say there's ten, uh, maybe we, two of them are real. We don't even know. Yeah, I mean, and and this is obviously a, a, you know a, a ridiculous thing. And to mention, and like people keep saying, well, but their descriptions it match exactly the way Donald Trump has talked about these things. Well, you could look at it the other way too that they know how he's talked about it, so they're fitting it to those things. So we don't know the truth here. All right, let me tell you about Goldline. Goldline has issued, I'm sorry, not Goldline, uh, HSBC has issued a red alert. Uh, I want you to call Goldline today. Um, A red alert from HSBC is not common. Uh, They have put up an uncommon orange alert here recently. And what a red alert means that they believe that a stock market crash, a big stock market crash, may be imminent. They usually happen around this time of year. All of the big crashes in 87, in 2008, in 1929 all happened in October. It may not happen, but please be prepared. Call Goldline. Read their important risk information. Find out if gold or silver is right for you. Please, we are on the precipice of something. I'm bad with timing, but it doesn't feel good. Call them now, 866-465-3546. Read Goldline's important risk information at 866-GOLDLINE. 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. All right, leave us with some polls, dude. Give us the latest on the poll numbers. We talked about that minute moment from when, you know, it was a very close race to what we have today. Um, and, and it was uh, September 26th, uh, the most favorable estimate for Donald Trump had him at 45.2%. That's the 538 model. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in 45% chance of winning. 45% chance of winning. September 26th to today, which is October, what, 13th? Uh, it's gone from 45.2% to 15.3%. Holy cow. Um, and that's all, that's scientific, that's all based on just the polls. Polls and some demographics as well. Okay. The, uh, um, the presidency right now, here are the Clinton's chances to win the presidency from all six scientific models. 89%, 84%, 96%, 91%, 91%, Holy cow. It's as bad as it's been the entire election cycle. It's not a good moment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.